I I'm a big fan of that saying perfection is the enemy of progress. Yes. It, it really is. It's like this is about learning, doing better, making more healthful choices, whether that's to walk more or to eat less sugar or to sleep an extra hour, whatever it is, trying to be perfect is sure, you know, sure way Recipe to set up yourself for, for failure. Yeah. My grandmother used to say everything in moderation, even moderation. Mm. Um, and it's, and she lived to be 98, so... <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. Hello, hello. It's Bethany Baines here with Working Wife Happy Life Podcast. Welcome back. In today's Chronicles from a Breadwinner, dun dun dun. Last night, my family and I were joking around making ridiculous rhymes during dinner to the poem Roses Are Red, Violets Are Blue. And my eight-year-old daughter busts out with roses are red, violets are blue. Daddy takes care of me more than you. Yeah, that one stung. I guess you could think of it like as going either way. Maybe daddy takes care of me more than he takes care of you. Okay, Uh, I took it to mean that daddy takes care of her more than I do. Um, which frankly is probably the truth, but it still hurt. It was a very fun-loving, lighthearted family moment that very quickly went AWOL. Anyway, on today's episode, I was so lucky to spend some time with Michelle Promaleko, and I hope I said that correctly and you will know why in a moment. Uh, Michelle is an award-winning print and digital editor specializing in the wellness area, She's currently the editorial director at large for The Well and an advisor to several healthy lifestyle brands. She recently was the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan and the editorial director of Women's Health. So she came in and met us in Newsstand Studios and we talked about her latest book, Sugar Free 3. And in this book, she packages up an easy-to-follow guide with minimal commitment in terms of time and lifestyle, but it's a way to literally hit the reset button on your body in terms of sugar consumption and awareness. It's highly compelling, and particularly when we consider all the areas that sugar plays a role in our life, both physiologically and psychologically, I'm telling you this conversation gets in your head. I've become way more aware of sugar intake since, much to my children's chagrin, Um, But we don't just discuss sugar. We talk about everything surrounding self-care, career ambition, the importance of time with your girlfriends, and so much more. I had such a blast talking with Michelle, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Do you know how to pronounce my name? (laughs) I... I'm so glad you said that because I was, I was just like, about to ask you. Wait, yeah. let me guess. Let yeah, me guess. Go for Is it, it Promalenko? It's Promalenko. Promalenko. So, did I put an N in there? You did. But what's so interesting is many people do. And it must it must be something to do with, I don't know, the way letters are put together yeah. and that we're used to doing that. Because one of my best friends knows obviously there's not an n yeah but she says it so often with an n i'm like dude there's not an n in it she'll write me cards and on the envelope she adds the n like just to fuck with me (laughs) on the envelope and i'm like it's it's so funny like i wonder what it is so people a lot of times will say so my last name is baines b-a-y-n-e-s yeah and they'll say barnes and it Mm. happens all the time it's now starting happening to my side yeah it's just the way your eye sees it. And they're like, Barnes. And I'm like, there's no R there. See, but. that's what it is. Like, it's like the eye sees it and it leaps to, like, assume what it is. Yeah. And it must be, like, a combination of letters because people try to put the N in all the time. I'm yeah. like, it's 11 letters. Please don't add one. Yeah. yeah. So it's <laughs> like, Promalaco. And I have to say, when I was <laughs> typing up the sign, I was just like, You're okay, like, oh, I checked it, like, 12 God. times. Having to say it a million, you know, like, yeah, you end up having to say it a couple times a day. Like, if you yeah. call a doctor's office oh, or God, a new yes. place and they want or you know whatever reservation it's like so wait is so what's the what's the background it's ukrainian it's ukrainian i never would have guessed i mean i have no like connection to ukrainian culture it's not you know yeah it's not a part of my you know family's like rituals it's just the last it's just a yeah. yeah well you know what it makes you stand out from all the other michelle p's out there so I'm glad you brought that up first. (laughs) Um, I love how we 
got to know each other, even though I've just met you a few minutes ago. Yeah. But um, Joe, who's our sound engineer here at Newsstand Studios, uh, when I started to record, he said, oh, this woman, Michelle, you have to have her on. Um, yeah. And so he facilitated the intro. And then as I was looking you up, I realized that you are involved with The Well here in New York. Yes. Um, we have all kinds of connections. Uh, so many. And I'm sure we'll uncover more. But for our listeners that don't know, The Well is this holistic wellness center based here in the city that looks at individuals as having holistic wellness needs. So whether it's a little bit of pampering with massage or reflexology or esteem, or it's very deep medical analysis down to getting your thyroid levels analyzed, it just kind of wraps up the full patient in a holistic healing way that we don't really do that much here in the West. I know. What a revelation, right? It it, it's like so that we're, that we're being treated, right? <laughs> that we're being treated as, you know, whole systemic people instead of isolated parts. Right. Well, and because it's and also looking at preventative medicine in addition to, you know, sick care, as mm -hmm. we call it. Right. Because we treat the symptoms and not the cause. Exactly. So, right. And functional medicine, which is at the core of what the well does on the medical side, is all about finding the root causes of, of issues and yeah. treating those holistically and planning things to thwart any future problems. Yeah. And and I find it in a very unintimidating package too, mm. right? It's not... It's in a very beautiful, comfortable, you know, serene package. So it's like medical, um, medical care and also pampering and self-care and all those great things and meditation and mindful movement and food and all Everything. of the things that you could want under one roof. Yeah. Yeah. And in, it's... In a very pretty and welcoming package. It is. It's a stunning place for anybody who has not been to visit. Um, <clears throat> and I know of the well because one of their co-founders is a dear friend of mine from childhood, um, Sarah Halleck, who will be a guest on the Working Wife yeah. Happy Life. I'm going to put it out in the universe and make it happen with her schedule. Um, but I would love to hear how you got involved in that because you've started your career. And let me just, you know, Stop me if I'm wrong on any of this, but in some very high-powered positions in print magazines with Women's Health, with Cosmopolitan, um, you've written now three books. Yep. This is your third sugar-free three. three. <laughs> um, and you kind of have, have you always been in this space of, of wellness? Has it always had the female slant to it? How did Not you always in the space of wellness. So started, you know, went to school for journalism, started, you know, working in magazines as soon as I got out of college, worked for some teen magazines that are now defunct, as oh. many of them are, like YM and Teen People. Oh, I totally remember YM. Yeah, of course. It has a special place in a lot <laughs> really of people's does. hearts. But, so many you know, posters on the wall. I know. <laughs> Matt Dillon. <laughs> so um, RIP YM. And Teen People. I was yep. one of the founding editors of Teen People. So started out in that realm and then went to Cosmopolitan for my first tour of duty and spent a, eight years there. So a number of oh, years wow. there um, as the number two, which is the executive editor. And that person works very closely with the editor in chief. And I've often called it editor in chief boot camp because I had a lot of responsibility. It was a huge global brand, um, had a great um, boss in Kate White, who was the editor in chief for 15 years. And the editor, when I was the number two, did that and then went to women's health as editor in chief. Great. Um, and that's, you know, that's the first sort of wellness job I had or wellness, you know, driven job that I had. Um, but I cared about it personally. And I sort of, I think that interest grew over time. I was an athlete in high school and you know, liked working out in college, but it wasn't the whole spectrum of wellness as we right. know it today. And right. so once I got, and to be honest, it was probably mostly either for athletic, working out for athletic performance or for vanity sake, mm -hmm. right? Not when you're young, you're not thinking as much about being healthy no. and what that entails. And what, I would go and for by a the run way, and then smoke a cigarette. Exact same. <laughs> um, I was like playing varsity soccer and smoking butts. Right. So there's that, <laughs> but it, I certainly wasn't thinking about what I was eating and how that impacted my health mm -hmm. way back then. So we'll get to that later, but women's health was really my first wellness driven job. And from there, my interest grew because mm -hmm. I learned so much on that job. I went to the job with some acumen and interest, and then it just grew 
through being the editor-in-chief of Women's Health. And then I went on to become the editor-in-chief of Yahoo Health, a digital property, did that for a while, then went back to Cosmo as editor-in-chief for a couple of years. Okay. And then, and what kind of prompted you to move on from Cosmo from print into, because now you're working at The Well, you're writing books on wellness and self-care. Yeah, um, so now I'm a free agent of sorts. So The Well, I'm, I'm the editorial director at large. That's my title. I spend a few days a week there with the team, which I love. Mm. And then I've had my book for the last few months, Sugar Free 3. So I've enjoyed juggling for the first time in my career several things at once and not going into the same building every day and working yeah. with different people. And there's, you know, pluses and minuses to being a free agent, right? So I've enjoyed the flexibility and working with different people, but it's also a hustle. You have yeah. to juggle a lot of things. Yep. And I'm used to more structure and a more formulaic existence. When you're an editor, your day is different. You know, every day is different. There's lots of different things going on. You might be in budget meetings. You might be, you know, doing idea generation. You might be editing. You might be, you know, dealing with visuals. You might be doing all of those things or out on TV promoting the product or traveling. You might be doing all of those things in the course of a week, but you still are working for the same brand it's and going like into book-ended. the same building. Yeah. Yeah. So this has <clears throat> been new and I just sort of felt at least for a little while, I wanted to try out the free agent kind of juggling thing. So that's what I've been doing for the last year plus. And, mm. and I've really, I've How's really, it <laughs> it's good. I mean, I've been really busy and yeah. I've enjoyed it. I've also had more flexibility. I don't think, I don't know that I've had more time off, maybe more control over the time that I do have off. Yeah. But when you're in the free agent world, if you're not working, you don't get paid. Right. (laughs) Unlike when you're in a salary job, obviously, and you take paid vacation. You can take your So there's all those things to to figure out. Yeah. It's really interesting because it's, you find... it's probably different stages in life that the trade-offs are more valuable to you. Like I'm at a stage of my life where flexibility is everything for me to be able to do everything I need to do, both for my family, get my day job done, obviously run this podcast. So I need to be able to, you know, I'm, I'm, I always say I'm always on, but I'm not tethered. right? Right. So technology allows me to basically work from anywhere and I'm able to kind of keep all of the balls in the air. But like you said, when you're hustling, you have so many, competing, uh, you know, demands on your time. Yes. And you're, and and so instead of going from that budgeting meeting to the planning meeting, to the feature meeting, you're potentially going to three very different things where your brain has to adjust. And like from a self-care perspective, I find like one of the challenges for me right now is my schedule changes every week. So in, even in terms of which state I'm in every day, so, or every week. So I find a lot of time finding a schedule in terms of working out. I need to either do yoga or go for a run, just do something at least a couple times a week or else my brain is not right. Um, I totally agree. And it's been a challenge in terms of having that consistency for me, too, because I used to have these set times that mm -hmm. I worked out with my trainer. I took certain classes or or did whatever. And now my schedule isn't as set to your point. And so I have to squeeze it in, but it takes a lot of scheduling and like rejiggering the schedule and, you know, communicating with people about, you know, can I come in at this time and not this time? And yeah, probably driving my trainer a little nuts. Yeah, but. it is. It's very hard. So I similar conversations, whether it's getting uh, recording set up for this or getting exercise time slotted in or even going to visit the well, which I am like the worst member, by the way. <laughs> twice. Um, You need to come more often. But yeah, you've got to find those ways. And like, so what, what are some of the things that you've learned? Um, We do have a significant amount of younger listeners on our podcast. And um, what I found being kind of mid-career is you evolve into the stage of, you know, I joke that I just give a shit less, right? So I I have more, um, maybe more flexibility or more cachet or more ability to not care on certain things. And so to focus my care on others, what are some things when you think of yourself as a younger professional that you kind of wish you could have gotten to faster in terms of protecting yourself and taking care of yourself? 
I mean, it may be a little bit cliche, but I find it to be very true. The ability to say no. Mm -hmm. I and that I didn't have that ability for a few reasons. One, I felt like I had to show up at X, Y and Z if I was asked or invited because it was important to my career and to, you know, being that person who does show up. But also I'm prone to FOMO. I always oh, I think say that. I'm yeah. going to miss out on something mm -hmm. like something fun, something great, something educational. And so I constantly and I still do this to a degree, but I'm much better at it now. Push myself to show up at everything, over schedule myself. Mm -hmm. I was sort of over scheduled my whole life. I was really social and I played sports and I had a lot of interests so I've sort of been overscheduled my entire life and it becomes a norm. Yeah. It becomes kind you of your DNA. Yeah. Totally normal when you're not until you really have that breather where you're like, oh, actually this feels pretty good. Yeah. So I do think when I was younger, there were things that weren't so imperative for me to go to or show up at. Yeah. Obviously when you're younger, you have a lot of energy and it's okay and you don't have as many responsibilities and you can do that and you need maybe a little less sleep, but I'd say finding boundaries and really thinking about whether you need to go to all those things because it's so critical to build in the downtime, it whether really it's, you know, staying home or just doing something with one, like dinner with one friend that's, you know, easy to be around and that is going to feel relaxing. Yeah. So you're hitting one part of, and I always think of my dearest friends like Sarah, when I think of this is the prioritizing time with a friend, because I do find particularly women in maybe their early to mid thirties, particularly if they're starting a family, that is the first, maybe the second thing to go. I would say probably the first thing to go is kind of this self care and, and not just a yoga class, right? Like getting your pap smears, getting yeah. the things that really are going to protect your health long-term and prioritizing those things. I mean, I've had women with like overdue root canals, whereas oh, if their totally. kid has a sniffle, they're off to the pediatrician, <laughs> right? Um, but also like, I know it's kind of, it's kind of mind boggling and I'm only laughing because it's true. And I've heard those stories. I'm not a mom. So I didn't have that. I felt like I had a hair, like a harried schedule, but not as mm -hmm. harried as but my, you still probably you know, prioritized work things than your own self-care in those stages. Yes, and I, and I see, I see moms doing this all the time. And what gets me about it is the the best gift you can give your kids is to be a completely as well a person as you can be mm -hmm. now and in the future. Mm -hmm. In the future, they're going to be the ones most likely taking care of you, right? So everything that you can do, and we all know now that what we do now impacts us decades later. Yep. Whatever you can do now to be as healthy and vibrant for as long as you can be is the best thing you could do for your kids. Yeah. Better than showing up at X, Y, and Z. Right. You know, missing one tumbling class. Yes. Oh, isn't going to be scarred. May I never go to another class. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certain I'll be the grandmother. That's all, all those things if I can afford to be. But, um, and you know, I know it's all, it's always rooted in good intentions. Of course. But yeah. it's short sighted in so many ways. And as an outsider, I can say that because I don't have those same demands on my time. But I can see how detrimental it is to, moms or dads who are just, you know, burning the candle at both ends, trying to do everything, not taking care of themselves. And it does, it, it comes out, right? Yeah. It comes out in their mood. It comes out in their energy level. It comes out. So or their long-term health, like you're saying, which their children health, will eventually is, have to care for them. Which is the most important thing. Yeah. And, and so the other point I was making too, is this investment in female friendships. Um, I think at middle age, I've also seen enough partnerships dissolve to know how critical it is to maintain and invest and value and build those friendships. It's something that I take a tremendous amount of pride in. Um, I can remember for my listeners, when my first child was born, he was a baby. And I think he was uh, two weeks old the first time I went out to dinner with all my girlfriends. I was wow. just like, I need to get out of this that house. That is amazing. My husband's like, are you coming back? I'm like, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but we need to go have, and they met me on the corner of my block it's and amazing. we all went out to dinner. And I would say, you know, these are women that are still close to me and I'm still, you know, count them on my hands as my, my sisters really, you know, 
Um, I, I have real sisters. These are my sisters. I could I've not agree with you more. It's so important to maintain those female friendships. And it takes it takes work. It takes carving out the time. It takes prioritizing. And again, it's hard with other demands, with work, with spouses mm-hmm. or boyfriends or kids or whatever, whatever. But it, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, right? In our romantic lives, we don't. We yeah. don't, you know, we all want to believe like the person we choose is going to be there forever. But we know statistically and anecdotally that that's not necessarily true. Yeah. It's not going to happen for everybody. And the people you need to turn, hopefully you have great family bonds and you have support systems other than just your close girlfriends, but they're really special bonds that you have with your girlfriends. And most likely, if you keep them up, they're going to be there for the long haul. Right. Most of them. Not and, all of and, them, but most right, of them. Not all of them. And they'll be there to tell you when you're being an asshole. Yeah. And that's what you really need, whether yeah. it's, you know, health or career or toxic relationships or toxic um, perspectives or moods, you know, those types of things where you're like, you know what? Check yourself. You've got this. And those are the friends I find you have to listen to the most. The ones who are willing to tell you the ugly stuff. Absolutely. And it's not like we can all keep up every female friendship we've ever had or ever made. But you, over time, you start to realize the really valuable ones. And it's usually the people who reciprocate the energy that you're mm-hmm. putting in. Yes. Yeah. And prioritize spending time with you, too. Yeah. And give it to you straight, as you said. Totally. Um, so you can count on me to always give it to you straight. Yes. Um, but let, let's same switch. here. <laughs> um, um, if any of my friends are listening, they're like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost <laughs> too much that. sometimes. Michelle's the one who calls us out on our shit and holds <laughs> us accountable. I love and, it. And they do that for me too, but I, love I couldn't it. agree more. It's so important. We all have those friends who, you know, start dating somebody or get me. Um, and by the way, I'll give somebody a pass when they first start dating somebody. Cause you're in like the throes of oh, that. Totally. Yeah you know, oxytocin rush and you just want to be around that person. And I get it. But after a while, you got to return. Yeah. You just got to and you've got to make the time or, you know, also I think the forgiveness when you can't make the time is like, I get it. You know, I think I had somebody, um, last week who bailed on me for some reason. I can't even remember anymore. That's how not a big deal it was. Oh, it was my friend coming in from LA and she said, you know what? I just, I changed my flight because I'm only going to have one night at home with my family this week. And I had to change my flight. So I'm not getting in until midnight. And I was like, girl, I love you and would have loved to see you. But no one's going to understand that more than I will. Of course. I mean, you have to be forgiving in that way, too. Of course. Because that encourages her the next time she comes to town to prioritize you. Oh, well, I forced her to put it on her calendar. Right. But yeah. Because (laughs) had you given her a hard time, she probably wouldn't have been in a rush to make you the person she saw the next time she came. Right. So, you know, there's a, there's a give and take there for sure. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, your, your evolution from the, the print world into journalism and a couple of the books that you've written. And I, I did read through sugar free three this weekend. However, (laughs) I did it while drinking wine and eating chocolate. I'm not going to lie to you because I tell you straight. Totally. Um, well, if you're not, if you're not on the program, you were just reading the book. You weren't, you weren't, you hadn't doing research. You hadn't signed up for the three week program. So it's okay. It should you decide to sign up for the program. Then you're going to have to curb those things for a short while. 21 oh, days. I know. I know. Except and it's, I, there are a few loopholes. Okay. That I've let's talk in. about it. Okay. Because I feel like I need your like your coaching and enthusiasm to <gasps> yes. come off the page for me well, now. Nobody likes page. wine more than me. So I, that's why I feel like we're knows. fast friends. Yes. As everyone as knows. As we're looking actually on the, ch- oh, yeah, the we're wine looking, vault. Yes. Wow. Yes. There's like multi-thousand dollar bottles up there. Um. So, Which I'm sure are highly protected if anyone's thinking of coming and trying to steal them <laughs> after listening to this. So Sugar Free 3, my latest book, is a three-week plan to eliminate added sugars, artificial sweeteners, and refined carbohydrates. 21 days. And it's a reset. I say it's not a detox. It's not a diet. It can turn into a lifestyle if you want it to. Mm-hmm. Or it can be a reset for times when you feel like you've gone off the rails. Um, when I talked about the loophole... One of the tenets of the program is this mindful indulgence that I allow once a week, which means once a week you can eat something or in my case, drink something like a glass of wine 
off the kind of not allowed list. Yep. And I built that in because I do know how hard it is to go even three weeks not having some of your favorite things like a piece of chocolate or wine. If that's going to derail you on this program, then I encourage you not to have the mindful indulgence. But if it's going to get you to week two and week three and maybe become part of your lifestyle going forward where you just have that indulgence you can think once about a week. Moderation, yeah, yeah, moderation, then <laughs> it's worth it to me. It's not going to completely throw you off. This is the program's really about recalibrating our sensitivity to, to sugar because we've mm -hmm. lost it. We need so much to even think something tastes sweet because our palates have been calibrated mostly by packaged food makers right. to expect so much sweetness. Yeah. And we're, we're getting so much more in our diets than we even know, than we're even aware of. And so Sugar Free 3 was meant to be a program that supercharges your health. Definitely you'll lose weight if you need to. You'll feel more clear-headed. Your moods will be more stable. You'll sleep better. You'll have better energy. Your skin will clear. Like, all these good things will happen. But it's really about an educational platform in a way because mm -hmm. you start to understand how much you're actually consuming. Yeah. Unknowingly. Right. So that's what surprised me most is that, okay, wine, I think of it as air. Um, but, you know, with chocolate and stuff, it's obvious. Yeah. You know there's sugar yes. in there, right? But there's so many parts of our diets and I, I consider myself pretty well versed in this stuff, but I am still surprised when I look at salad dressings. Totally. Bread. Exactly. Ketchup. Yep. Right. Like these things that you're like, savory oh my foods, God, there's sugar. in that this. was the biggest epiphany for me too. doing this. I know when I, to your point, when I eat gummy candy or actually red wine doesn't have that much sugar. Just FYI. See, I'm liking Dry you more wine, and more by the just minute. Saying. <laughs> um, but I, you know when you're eating ice cream, which mm -hmm. is, you know, one of my favorite things in the world, you know you're eating something sugary. Right. But when you're eating bread or yogurt or salad dressing or pasta sauce, you're not thinking, oh, I'm pouring sugar all over my pasta or I'm pouring right. sugar all over my lettuce. You just don't think like that. Right. But in fact, you might be. Right. Or even the way is, do you also like explore how your body transitions? Because you talked about the simple carbohydrates how your body actually just transforms that as if you just ate a Snickers bar. Is that right? Well, well, right. If you're eating refined carbohydrate, that's something that's not a cold, that's not a whole grain. It's been stripped of its nutritional value and stripped of its fiber. And so it's hitting your bloodstream the way sugar would. If you don't use it as energy, it gets stored as fat. Mm -hmm. That's really the simplest way to put it. And if it doesn't have any nutritional value and it doesn't have fiber in it, it's not going to keep you full. Therefore, it's not satisfying. So it's not nourishing. Got it. It's not nutrient dense. It's not, you know, bettering your health, but it's also not filling you up. Right. It's just like a because, complete empty. Yeah, yeah. It's an empty calorie. And did you, um, so, cause I have, I have, I had, a, I almost did this to my kids this weekend. I was like, I am going to start two jars at the beginning of the week. And every time you eat something with sugar, I'm going to put the equivalent of like a teaspoon or a tablespoon of sugar into that jar just so you can have a visual. Wow, that's of, great. That's, well, a, that's a cool exercise. I haven't, haven't done it, um, but I had the thought when I was reading your book because you were talking about how much we actually consume versus what the, you know, guidelines are for a man or a woman. I don't even know what they would be for a child, but yeah, I'm I mean, certain they're eating way more than they should. For any person, you probably don't need any amount of added sugar, like naturally occurring sugars like in whole fruit or in certain dairy products like milk, you probably get enough for energy res you know, naturally. resources naturally. Yeah. So I don't vilify fruit, whole fruit. I don't vilify naturally occurring sources of sugar. I'm talking purely about added sugars. Okay. These so are like sugars. not honeys or no, 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 no. They're all added sugars. Oh, they are. They're okay. all added sugars too. And okay. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. people like to attribute some kind of, you know, halo to things like, well, agave. I don't know. That's, I, that happened a few years ago. I don't know where that came from, why people, I, because it's plant derived, maybe. I don't know. Thinking that that's oh, somehow an innocent bees, yeah. sweetener, but honey or maple syrup are the ones I hear more often now. Yeah. People think, yeah, okay. They might have some trace element of antibacterial or antifungal or, um, 
you know, nutritious, marginally nutritious value, but it's still a sugar in the yeah. way that your body treats it. So Got you it. can't have any of those for three weeks. Okay. Which is not to say you can't have a little bit of them after that. Right, right. No, it's that's really I that's just I like awareness raising. It's not like you've talked about not taking out whole sections of food or whole sections right. of your diet. Actually, I was cracking up at your reference to Snackwell. Oh my God. Because I remember when those hit the market and I was like on my waterbed in my room, <laughs> probably talking to Sarah, eating my like Snackwell and we would eat Sleeves. the whole freaking thing. Yes. Being like, oh, it's fat free. Like totally. fat was the, the right. evilest talk, of all evils. Yeah, I talk in the book about how fat was the fall guy. Yeah. And how for, we were eating bagels the size of our heads and we were eating s- sleeves of snack wells and fig newtons and things like that that had tons of sugar but yeah. you know didn't have any fat in them thinking we were doing a good job yeah yeah so what do you think of that now when you look at the evolution because there's so much out there I <clears throat> you know when I go to the grocery store and you see the paleo flowers and you see the keto bites and you see you know all of the different fad you know, or I crack yeah. up when you see a, a product that so obviously doesn't have gluten in it, but will say gluten free. And it's just like <laughs> such marketing. Well, I, it's well like, that's the whole marketing thing. Yeah. So in terms of trend diets, whatever, you can be on any of those diets or eat in any of those ways and still do sugar free three because sugar free three is really just about doing what I said, eliminating added sugars, artificial sweeteners and refined carbohydrates. You can eat anything, right? Any cat meat, you can be a vegetarian, you can be a meat eater, you can do any, you can be keto, you can do any of those things and still benefit from sugar-free three. I wanted to make it simple because I think that people are overwhelmed by all of the rules and all of the different diets and what does this mean and which is the best one for you. Most Americans and probably growing most American, most people around the world could benefit just from doing sugar-free three. Because if you eliminate those things from your diet, you're automatically going to be healthier. Right. So as a starting place, I mean, you can definitely do better after that if you want, but just doing that is going to make you a healthier person in so many ways. It's going to reduce your risk of all the chronic diseases. Sugar is inflammatory. It's not harmless. And that's one of the messages that I have been trying to put forth is, listen, I enjoy it like the next person. It's pleasure producing. It taps into the dopamine receptors in our brain, the pleasure centers. I get that. But we also assign this innocence to it that Mm -hmm. it doesn't deserve. Well, we also associate it so much with childhood. So Mm -hmm. I was this, um, you know, my mom was not a hippie, but I was actually raised for a period of time on a macrobiotic diet. Um, for it's a long story, but my aunt was ill. And so we were eating, you know, sea kelp and rice cakes and, you know, all this stuff that's now in my cabinet that my mom is like, holy shit, you know, you guys used to give me such a hard time about feeding you this stuff and it's now all over my pantry. Right. Um, but that's miraculous. The flip side of this was that I didn't know how to control myself around sugar. So I would go to a friend's house and her mom would, you know, I remember telling my, one of my friends that her mom must love her because she gives her Oreo cookies and I didn't get Oreo cookies. (laughs) It's a real sign of love. And, you know, I think that so when I had my children, I was like, okay, I want my kids to know how to control themselves around sugar. So we do always have some sort of sugar in the house. I try to bake. I try to make stuff with, you know, organic ingredients. And I know it's sugar, but I know they're going to eat it. I'd rather they eat what I know I put in it. Right. Um, But it definitely is this association with childhood, with love. Oh, you're sick. Have some ice cream. Oh, you're, you're totally. did a good job. Have a lollipop. Like there's this association. That is a huge part of the problem is that, well, one, we have these scent, scent and taste memories connected to childhood and sweet things. But through our whole lives, it's associated with celebration and happiness and reward. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that started, you know, the beginning of time. Um, but now we know how detrimental it is to our health, but we haven't, you know, been able to unwind from those traditions. They're yeah. so entrenched in our behavior, in our culture, in in just what we do. It's reflexive. Yeah. And it's not as if parents who are feeding their kids, you know, ice cream or cakes are trying to do them harm. 
They just really haven't tuned into just how bad it is and just how addictive it is. Yes. So the dependency that's created that keeps you going back for more, puts you in this vicious cycle, can be broken pretty easily. Like this three weeks of not eating this stuff is enough to do it and to reset you and to reset your palate and to make you feel better, which is the ultimate encouragement to keep going. When you feel better, you want to keep doing that thing, which is not to say you're never going to have a cupcake. It's not to say you're never going to have ice cream. I certainly am. I'm going to eat candy once in a while. I'm going to eat ice cream once in a while. I'm going to drink wine more than once in a while. (laughs) But I am so much more aware of all the hidden sources. Yeah. And again, it's more about that than it is about the stuff that's super sweet, which is not to say you should gorge on candy and cakes all day, every day. Right. But, but you at you least are, are so much more of it. so much more conscious of it. Yeah. But if you take that stuff that you're eating as treats or rewards or during celebrations and add it to all the secret sources, you're getting a ton. Mm-hmm. Now, and this is just dangerous. It is, I was going to say, bear, bear with me while I go a little, you know, kind of further into the psychology of this too, but when particularly girls, right? So you worked in magazines Mm -hmm. and sugar, obviously, particularly added sugars are going to have a negative impact on your body. Um, And that negative impact is probably going to cause body issues down the line, both in terms of health, as well as perception of your body. And, you know, this is something that Boys struggle with as well. Girls struggle with a bit more. Yeah. You know, we're already in that kind of world of wanting to have a perfect body. My eight-year-old daughter even said something to me the other night. I made her soup and she said, does this make my belly bigger or smaller? And I was like, what? Wow. What are you talking, you know, and and she's a gymnast. I mean, she's the opposite of of fat, but she does sustain a lot on sugar. Wow. Um, But I was like, wow, this is, I mean, it literally was like spinach and noodle soup. I'm like, it's, it's just good for you. Yeah. But her mind is already there. And that's terrifying to me. That I, is terrifying. I don't know where she, I mean, it's probably YouTube and TikTok and all of these things, but kind of how. Yeah, you can't control the, really can't control the incoming information. No, it's now. hard. Right. And you just have to hope that they have a healthy relationship with it and see, hope that they see you have a healthy relationship with it. Um And, you know, I am curious from a magazine and editorial perspective, kind of how did you guys grapple with those topics at a magazine like Cosmopolitan, those types of things in terms of how people would digest these visuals or these profiles and and take that with them? You know, it changed over time in the last bunch of years. Obviously, magazines have gotten a lot more representative Mm -hmm. Um, body positivity, you know, came up as a thing and that's a great thing. I think there are times where it goes the opposite end of the spectrum and this is super controversial to say, but body positivity is great, but just deciding that you can be healthy no matter what you eat, if you say you are or you're comfortable with your body doesn't mean you're going to be healthy if you're not doing if you're not making healthful choices. Right. And when you're young, and not eating well, even if you're not, you know, a small person, you might still be able to sustain some health. You're young. Maybe you're kind of active, but that's going to catch up with you. Yeah. And so in mag, just to back up to magazines, it's like, yeah, in the beginning of my career, I think there was a much more formulaic body type that you would see on covers. It was also when models were on covers more mm-hmm. and then it kind of turned to celebrity culture. Yep. And that became a little bit more diverse in terms of body type and, and everything else. And then over time, that's evolved more. So I think magazines have gotten to a pretty good place. Yeah. It's no longer a one-size-fits-all proposition to be on the cover yeah. or in a fashion spread or anything, at least in the magazines that I've worked for. And that's great. I yeah. think that's great. And I think social media has probably pushed some of that, too. Right. It's it's interesting. My daughter, I, I didn't even know where she got this, maybe from my mother-in-law, but she had um, <clears throat> one of the Barbies that's more the normal proportions. Um, and she uh, was just playing with them one day and she just looked at me. And she's like, I like this one better because she's more realistic. And I was like, oh, I mean, I didn't even know she had this doll, which is right. maybe a nod to my poor parenting. But um <laughs> I just looked at her and I was like, why? Why is she more realistic? And she 
literally pointed to the legs mm. and to like the non, you know, the thigh that there was no thigh gap is mm. essentially what she was saying. And right. she said, you know, look at these legs. Those are strong legs. Look at these legs. Nobody's legs look like that. And I was like, whoa, she's noticing. This is not a conversation cool. we've ever had with that's her. That's amazing. And yeah. I love that. I love that she used the term strong. Yeah. Like these are strong legs. Like that's a positive attribute mm -hmm. and that's good and that's viable yeah. and that's what you want to be. You want to strive to be healthy and strong. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I appreciate whatever what you size said. you are because there, right. there, are, there are naturally thin people. Yes. And they sometimes get a hard time um, or given a hard time because people think they don't eat or they're, I, I don't know, whatever they think or yeah. that they're overexercising. And some people just are naturally built that way. Yes. And it's hard for them to build muscle. Right. And it's also something where it can be just as emotionally damaging for those people to thin shame as fat shame or what. You yeah. Know, there's just it's, so much in there. And it's a lot harder for people to understand because I don't think it's it's not as common um, so they don't quite get the the empathy. Yeah, right. And it's also been seen now as a a uh, position of beauty and a position of attainment. So they think that that's something that you know they're they're worried about. But I have plenty of friends who are very thin, and if they uh, one was on an elimination diet uh, for health reasons to figure out what was going on, and you know, she was losing weight and she's like, I can't afford like starting to look gaunt, you know, and that's just as distressing for Definitely. people as, as it is um, for those that are, are heavier, you know? And I think there's just more of a, there's more of a narrative around it in a positive way of toward, toward thinness. But I, I do like the controversial comment that you made because yeah. the key is so much less about what you see in the mirror, um, but so much more about what's going on with your body physiologically and also your connection to your body. So, I mean, I, I can definitely feel, and this is where I think you're getting at with the sugar-free three, you can feel when you're out of sync. Mm -hmm. You can feel when, like, you've just gone too far or you're just you know, and it, and it kind of just builds on itself. Or at least you should itself. be able to feel that. And That's I think, a good point. And I think that some people... Their baselines are so, you know, not healthy that they don't know how good they could feel mm -hmm. until they do something like sugar-free three. So I think once you do sugar-free three or do some kind of other elimination diet or experiment with eating more healthfully, whatever that is, and you start to tune in to actually how you feel after you put something in your mouth, right? Which is not to be hyper-focused on it, but just to really be cognizant or mindful, to use more of a wellness and woo, -woo yeah. term, <laughs> to be more mindful of what you're eating and how it impacts how clearly you think, how much energy you have, what your skin looks like, all those things is just a good thing. It's really just tuning in so that you know when something's off. Yeah. Do you have a best practice for that? Because I did the thing, um, of course, this is so cliche and sometimes it just is what it is, but I'll own it. Like January 1st, I wrote down like, okay, I did not drink any wine today. I did not smoke any weed today. I did not eat any sugar. I got a good night's sleep. Uh, I went to the bathroom regularly, like wrote yep. down everything. And I did that for about two and a half days. Yeah. And well, then I well, forget. So yes. like how so journaling, it's so funny. Journaling is totally documented as something that helps. I suck at it. Okay. I'm not a good journaler. <laughs> like I've done it. I've tried to do it. I wish I could be good at it. I just, it's just not my thing. Yeah. But it is proven to help because then you see it, right? You see what you've consumed. And if you write down also to your point, how you felt, yeah. then you can begin to see the common denominators of when you feel good and when you don't feel good. And it's not the same for everyone. Right. I mean, sugar typically has a negative impact on a lot of things, but other foods dairy, gluten, don't have the same impact on everybody. Right. So, or at least noticeably. Right. Like, even if it's causing some kind of, like, gut permeation or inflammation, you may not feel it in a significant way. So I think tracking, food tracking, is a smart thing to do if you can be disciplined enough to do it. So what, so do you have I don't, a discipline I don't, or a practice? I don't or do you're it just, like that. I mean, yeah. I, I basically just, I'm pretty tuned into how I feel. you're living this. Yeah. So I'm living it. Yeah. Um, so I just, I know, you but know, for I those, know when I. If we have listeners who are just, you know, 
and, and it's so hard because I've talked about self-sabotaging before where like, I know the things I should do, but you just get, I, I do them for a day or two. And then I get to the point of like, well, what if I get hit by a bus tomorrow? And I, <laughs> this is my last day on okay, earth. And I the, didn't have my gamay blend that I wanted to have. Ultimate justification. <laughs> what if this is my final day totally. and I didn't indulge? I'm pretty sure you're not going to regret not indulging. If it, You're going to regret a lot, a lot of other things, that's, but maybe not that. That's very true. Um, it's another I mean, listen, podcast I episode. think it's just, it's reflexive. It's just what we're pro- we've programmed ourselves to think and do. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of kind of peer pressure, right? So one of my tricks, and I think I talk about this in the book, is when I go out to dinner with friends, and it doesn't mean they're, you know, not well-meaning friends, but you, there's a contagious aspect to ordering. Mm. So the second, so I try to order first, or at least try oh, to, interesting. you know, if we're doing shared apps, like try to put my kind of, choice in the ring early on um, so that I don't fall prey to that sort of contagious ordering because the second one person orders the fries, then you just yeah. feel anointed with permission to do it. Interesting. Which is not to say you should never share fries with your girlfriends. I'm not saying that. No, but if you're but trying to control. As a habit, yeah. You know, as a habit, if you, and there are going to be sugar pushers or other kinds of food pushers in your life and they have, you know, their own issues with it. It doesn't mean they're trying to sabotage you. Maybe they are trying to sabotage you. Maybe Mm -hmm. they just don't feel great about themselves and they don't want to kind of be on that journey by themselves and seeing you kind of go clean up your diet. So you really just have to, as much as you can, try to kind of control the direction that the group ordering is going in. Yeah. And that holds true to, you know, bringing things to um, dinner parties or functions at work or whatever. I can see that approach being beneficial in so many different ways when you think about obviously food, um, but also like alcohol consumption or even like spending habits, right? It's like bringing that, that group along with you, um, or in a partnership, like, you know, is that something that you talk about accountability buddies, those types of things? For sure. I mean, you're much more likely to reach a goal if you have someone participating in that challenge or that eating program or that workout regime with you, right? It just, that's science and statistic and research points to that. Like if you're doing it in a community and Sugar Free 3 has a community, which we can talk about later, you're more likely to reach your goal. For me, I find if I have that sugary thing in the house, obviously it's going to take that. I have to summon that much more discipline not mm-hmm. to eat it than if I never bought it, never put it in the house. And that's where cohabitating with somebody who doesn't share your eating philosophies yeah. or isn't on the same journey you're on is really challenging because it's really there. Hard. Yeah. It's it's almost or like you, you can kids. feel it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so tell me about the community because I'm all about communities. I feel like they're yeah. so powerful. So Sugar Free 3 is not just a book. It's also a full video platform on OpenFit. So OpenFit is an app and it is a digital streaming service for wellness and fitness. Okay. So along with Sugar Free 3, you get that whole program. You also get tons of workouts and anything else you want to tap into. Um, but there's a community. So a Sugar Free 3 community on Facebook that you can, you know, go to for support and food finds and hacks and just morale boosts mm-hmm. and cheerleading and all. And the somebody things. who's starting on the same day as yeah, you questions. are. Questions like yeah. constantly people will post pictures of ingredients and labels and packaged foods asking like, is this okay? And over yeah. time they really through the book or the video platform and also through the community, really learn what to look for. Yeah. And then it becomes second nature. Then you're grocery shopping and it's not like you're studying every package. You're taking a quick look and pretty soon it becomes like so second nature that you're like whizzing right through. It's one of those things where the more you think about it, the more obsessed you become, but then the more it becomes a habit. Yeah. You just know what to look out for. You mentioned labels. And I thought that that part of the book was really interesting in terms of the power of reading labels, but also something I didn't know 
kind of around the use of the word good, right. the use of the word excellent. Can you share more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, all of those terms are really marketing terms for the most part, right? They do indicate certain things. Like if something's a good source of something, it means there's like 10% of that nutrient in mm. in the pack or 10% of the recommended daily allowance of that nutrient. So like nutrient. all the sugary cereal that's a good source of, of calcium of, yeah, or, or good something. good source of yeah. fiber or good source of exactly. whatever. I mean, saying it's a good source isn't really even what you would consider a good source if you're talking about like 10 percent. Right. I think it's like 10 to 19 percent. An excellent source means it's about 20 percent of that thing. Wow. But really just ignore all of the words on the package because there's so many confusing words and they're re- most of them are not there to alert you to something you need to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's to divert your attention away from something that they don't want you to know. Right. Or to trick you. So whether it says organic or, um, you know, wheat, which is a way to make you think it's a whole wheat when it's not necessarily a whole wheat or ref- or um, enriched or gluten free or whatever, it just ignore it all because none of that's all language that's put on there to seduce you. Yeah. Or just even you the really pe- just want to look at the nutrition facts label and the ingredients and you do kind of need to look at both. Yeah. And then make a decision about whether it's a healthful food. And the packaging, too. Like, I just, I find, I actually get suckered into sometimes buying what I think is like, and this isn't digestive, but like a, a you know, more eco-friendly uh, cleanser or an eco-friendly, mm-hmm. that's not actually not, right? It just had like a green label. And I'm like, oh, of course, that must be, you know, of course. biodegradable. I mean, companies spend millions and millions of dollars researching consumer behavior and how you react to colors and words and, you know, all those things. And it's because you're trying to make a good decision. Right. And you want to believe that these companies have your best interests at heart. And some of them do, but many of them don't. Yeah. And so you really have to be your own advocate and empower yourself with the information. I used to and again, walk- once you once you figure it out, it's not that hard. The first thing is ignore all that stuff. Ignore the front of the package. Flip it over. Look at the nutrition facts label. If it has added sugars, because new labeling laws will force companies to have to put added sugars on under total carbohydrates. But right now, not every company has to comply. They're still like a year or so away from having to comply. So you want to look at that and see Would if it Would it literally say added, added sugars, sugars versus just sugars? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you'll know. But the best thing you can do is learn to look at the ingredients and and learn a lot of the some of the common names or aliases for sugars. So Which in sugar are? free three, oh, I mean, there's like 60, 70, oh. like there's a million you of them. You could just rattle off but some eight syllable like, words we for put us. Them, they are in sugar free three and you <clears> get <throat> to know them. But also don't be tricked by the, you know, the honeys and the agaves and the coconut nectar or the date syrup or the, you know, whatever things that sound more healthful than they are. Yeah. I mean, those are all next to the organic sugar and the sugar in the raw and all of right, that sugar stuff. In the raw. Yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all very deceptive. I think, um, you know, like you're saying, there's just the intentionality behind it in terms of a consumer. Just if you're, tr- if you're going to make a chocolate cake, you may as well make it with you know, a, a non-refined sugar or with something, right. but it's still going to be sugar, right? It's, right. Absolutely. Yes. It's, it's still, it's still going to impact your blood sugar level. So the two sweeteners that I allow on sugar-free three are stevia and monk fruit. And that's because they don't have that same effect on your blood sugar. Okay. Which is not to say like, I'm not like, oh, there's a loophole, go like bake tons of things stevia using cakes. stevia, stevia cakes, like there's stevia chocolate. If you're on the program and you're like, I'm dying for some chocolate, you can have some stevia sweetened chocolate. I use it in my coffee every morning. Okay. So I haven't gotten to the point where I can drink coffee black. I put a little bit of milk in there, a little bit of stevia, which is like kind of two sources of sweeteners in a way. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that's probably the only time I ever use stevia. Once in a while, I'll have a stevia sweetened chocolate, which I happen to like. Yeah. But it, the reason I allow those is because they don't mess with your blood sugar levels and they also don't mess with your microbiome the way that, say, an artificial sweetener does. I'm sorry, what's a microbiome? Oh, like your your whole, this whole, you know, environment in your gut. Oh. 
Yeah, your gut. Like the, everything. Well, which, <laughs> your control, everything. Yeah. which controls your immunity, your yeah. metabolism, your, you know, general health, your brain health. There's a connect. It's called your second brain. Yeah. Your microbiome. So your microbiome is full of trillions of bacteria. Some of them good. You want to keep the bad guys out. Um, you want to feed the good guys, not feed the bad guys. Guess what feeds the bad guys? Sugar. Sugar. You know, it's interesting. But also certain things like artificial sweeteners are just disruptive to your system in general. Yeah, I, mean, I chemical, see a lot of that. They're chemical concoctions that don't really have any great place in your diet. We, we were explaining to our kids how, um, you know, how much companies will study like the right crunch of the potato chip to make you want to eat more. The right sound of the can of Coca-Cola opening <laughs> to yep. attract you to it. Like it's insane how right. much of this. So and they're mad scientists and yeah. they are, you know, food engineers to your point who are paid, you know, or do tons of research, millions and millions, you know, bazillions of dollars of research to concoct the exact mouthfeel or combination of salty, salt, sweet, fat, all the things to make it hyper palatable mm -hmm. and to make you want to keep reaching into that bag or that box and keep eating more, which obviously means you need to go back and buy it again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and lines their pockets. So, you know, I know it sounds sinister and to some degree, you know, maybe it, it is, is, but yeah. really what it comes down to is just not falling prey to it and just being as informed as you can and also not freaking out when you make a mistake. Yeah. That's the other thing is like, I, I'm a big fan of that saying perfection is the enemy of progress. Yes. It, it really is. It's like, this is about learning, doing better, making more healthful choices, whether that's to walk more or to eat less sugar or to sleep an extra hour, whatever it is, trying to be perfect is sure you know, sure way Recipe to set up yourself for, for failure. Yeah. My grandmother used to say everything in moderation, even moderation. Mm. Um, and it's, and she lived to be 98. So that's pretty good. It's <laughs> pretty good. I won't, I don't think I'll make it that long, but so no, for, you're going to make it way past that. Oh, Aren't God, we all we'll living see. into our hundreds? We'll see. I might need a few bionic limbs at that point, but <laughs> probably, um, so for, for, our listeners that are curious, kind of the one takeaway, it sounds like the biggest value and the easiest kind of piece that they could take away is to start to turn those packages around and look at the labels. Definitely, because most of the things you want to eat, you can find with no added sugar. So if it's yogurt or it's salad dressing or it's marinara sauce or it's bread, you can have all those things. See, that's my point, too. I'm not telling you you can't ever have right. bread. Not restricted. I'm just telling you yeah. have, and again, is it the most nutrient-dense thing you could eat? No, I'd rather you eat vegetables and lean proteins, but you can also eat starchy vegetables like sweet potatoes and regular potatoes, too. So you can usually find the thing you want to eat with out added sugar. You just need to know between two packages, which one is the more helpful choice. Mm -hmm. So that ingredient education is a huge piece of this. And then just, you know, curbing it and then seeing how you feel. Yeah. And I, I know you're going to like, I felt immediately more energetic when I was on my own program. Um, and now I live a modified version of it. Mm hmm. Still my wine and, you know, have a few indulgences, but I'm certainly not back to where I was before I started all this research. And what inspired me to start it was I knew I was out of control. Yeah. Yeah. And it is that addictive nature of the more you have, the more you need. And then you start to see every the dependence. Morning. Yeah. yeah. And the highs and the lows and the and so many people. And I've said this before in interviews, eat dessert for breakfast without mm -hmm. knowing it in the form of a baked good, like a muffin or a yogurt that has, or a smoothie that has a ton of fruit in it and no other ingredients like greens or protein. Mm. Wait, tell me about that. So like a yeah, blueberry just, smoothie, just like having something in there with more fiber or? Yeah. I mean, first of all, fiber is what makes, so whole fruit comes intact with the fiber, yeah. right? So at night, a lot of times I'll have a sliced apple with cinnamon and that's like kind of all I need to get me, you know, if I have a little bit of a, a sweet Jones or whatever you want to call it, 
I'll have that. Well, it's got the fiber. It's going to make you feel full. It's going to hit your bloodstream, you know, more slowly. So it is healthy. It has vitamins and minerals and other nutrients. Yeah. So it's what the second you blend all that, liquefy everything, you're getting too much at once. You're mm. never going to eat four apples in a row, but you could juice four apples easily. Right. So that's interesting because juicing is also a huge craze. And actually my kids will drink, my daughter will drink the hell out of beet juice. Um, I have never seen her eat a beet, but she loves beet juice. So yeah. I'm like, okay, not the worst thing you could have. Is it? Not the worst thing, but I don't know. I'd have to see the label. It's yeah. like, I have to see what else is in there. Like is it like much. the beet? It is. It's like, it's eating way more sugar, even if it's naturally occurring, than she would if she was eating the beet. Yeah. All right. I'm going to make her listen to this episode. Yeah. And and <laughs> yeah. So the fiber is what, and we all like most of us need more fiber in our diet anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that's something where we've just evolved so far from, you know, I remember I used to walk into Whole Foods and think that, well, everything in here is healthy for me to buy. <laughs> I um, know. Right. And it's like, and we've just moved so far alone. from like what we think food is that now what you think is the healthy aisle, you know, or even the cost of food, right? I have this conversation a lot within my family where, you know, if you buy a steak that is grass-fed beef or yep. you buy pasture-raised eggs, eggs, like they're going to be more expensive because that's what food costs. But we have been kind of conditioned to think that it should be cheaper, cheaper, cheaper and it's actually like if you just crack open a pasture-raised egg and a regular egg. You can see the, how disgusting. much more nutritious it is. Yeah. And I mean, and that's how sugar made its way into our food is that it was inexpensive to make food by making it more palatable with sugar. Mm. And so it is, I get that places like Whole Foods, which is nicknamed Whole Paycheck, you know, I, it's, I get it. But if you're going to make an investment somewhere, and it doesn't mean that everything you eat has to be organic or pasture-raised, but if you're going to make an investment somewhere in your life, it's a great place to make it. Yeah. No, and I mean, look, the 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 benefits of a healthful diet and of at least kind of awareness of what you're eating and what you're ingesting is, like you said, contributes to sleep, contributes to energy, contributes to skin and all those things the long-term health. Right. And, and it's like way. disease prevention. Nothing's mm -hmm. more expensive than being sick. Nothing. That's what's amazing is my brain just goes to like the, the whole like, you know, conspiracy theory of all this stuff is, does that then spur the healthcare industry? And, you know, all of these industries that are actually pumping all of this stuff out there in a way that is packaged for children and targeted to, you know, moms and dads and buy the stuff and it, you can feel really good about it. And then we have all these occurrences of diabetes that are actually happening. It's actually happening earlier and earlier and it's actually happening less and less to obese children, mm -hmm. right? Where you're seeing a lot of pre-diabetic conditions for children who are not Yeah. So obese. I did, year, and I, t I think I talk about this in the book years ago when I was the editor-in-chief of Women's Health, I did a story called Skinny Diabetes and it was essentially young women who didn't have the visual markers of somebody who had developed type 2 diabetes, um, which is the lifestyle-driven kind, but they were drinking because they were, quote-unquote, thin, mm -hmm. but they were drinking soda and they were eating unhealthfully and they weren't moving, and so they were either pre-diabetic or diabetic, type 2, um, without looking what, you know, we think the prototypical person with diabetes looks like. Mm -hmm. So that's alarming. We also don't screen children for this stuff either. So I notice in our, you know, all of our well visits, I think they take their blood maybe when they're two hmm. to maybe check for something. But otherwise, yeah. if there's nothing, they don't run any type of blood sugar tests or anything like that for kids. Um, yeah, and I mean, I don't, I don't think this has changed much, but there's not enough nutrition education, right? right. Both in school and also in the kinds of foods well, that ketchup they're is given. A vegetable. <laughs> Yeah, it's categorized that way, right? Like, not even to mention that tomatoes are fruit, but like whatever, it's still considered <laughs> a vegetable. It must be the sugar that makes it a vegetable. 
<laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. It's so crazy. I have heard that before. Yeah. Well, listen, I love your approach because I think it's very pragmatic. It's very um, non-intimidating. I mean, except for the fact of giving up wine for three weeks, which is very hard except for me to Except the mindful my... indulgence. Yes, yes. Well, I think that's important too yeah. because you can plan your life around it and you can... Um, and, and finding that accountability partner too, because there's ways to obviously enjoy yourself without that, but to make sure that you have a plan in place and to realize that this is a temporary reset so that I can be more conscious. And I think those are the types of messages that really help people. Exactly. You you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's a reset and it, it really raises awareness and teaches you how to make healthier choices and feeling is believing the second you start to feel better, you're more motivated to keep doing that thing. And once Mm -hmm. the three weeks are over, and by the way, you start to feel better, like way before the three weeks, like a couple days in, you have fewer cravings. I have tons of information in the book and on the platform about how to crush cravings, but you start to feel better. You start to crave less sweet, like naturally sweet things start to taste so much sweeter and Mm -hmm. more satisfying. And all of this cascade of good things happens. You can absolutely just keep it going. You can do another round of sugar-free three. You can live like this forever. It's great if you do. The longer you do it, the more benefits. But you don't have to because I don't want people to think, oh, my God, I'm giving it up for life. No way. And then cling to it. And then you 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 just feel for failure. Yeah, you just set yourself up for failure. and, And you don't have to think like that. It's not an all or nothing proposition. But I do want people to recognize that as pleasure producing as it is and as much as it's intertwined in what we think of as celebration, it's pretty nasty when it comes yeah. to your health. And it's a precursor to Alzheimer's. It's a precursor to a lot of things. So just do your best to cut back on it. Yep. Well, that is a perfect way to wrap up. I am going to give this a try. I'm I can't let wait you to know hear. how it goes because I definitely need all of these uh, conscious reminders of everything that you're telling us. I tell us everybody about who's better. on the program to designate a sugar sponsor. Yes. Which is somebody that you can call or text to kind of talk, you know, talk you out of a temptation. Yeah. So I'll be your sugar sponsor. Okay. That is a lovely <laughs> offer. I will take you up on it. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks, Thanks for coming in. And I can't wait to one day enjoy a glass of wine with you after my sugar-free three. At the well, getting foot rubs at <laughs> yes, the same time. That no, that's lovely. wellness. That's holistic wellness. That is at, actually the last time I was there. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> See you there. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in for our conversation in Newsstand Studios at Rock Center. Lots more to come every Tuesday, so head on over to iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe so you don't miss anything. Please feel free to leave us a review to give us some direct feedback and also to help get the podcast in front of more eyes and ears. We really appreciate your support. Until next time.